Greetings, everybody, wherever you are in the world. Hello. <laughs> Terry Mal, hi, welcome to the show. How are you both? Good to see you again, Sonny. And you yeah, too, nice Terry. Good to see you all after a, a, a bit of a stretch off. Yeah, we missed you, Mal. It's, it's lovely to see you back on the show. And, uh, you know, uh, you're looking very tanned and very dapper, I must say. Would you go Bahamas or something? Yeah, yeah I agree. <laughs> Bahamas in the back garden. <laughs> yeah, yeah, back garden. I think this is probably just from uh, one day's golf. <laughs> oh, that is impressive. That's impressive. And Terry, have you been in lockdown hiatus? Or are you are you out and out let loose into the world now? No, we're in the we're in this crazy place called Texas, where the governor <laughs> decided to uh, to say, "Okay, it's over. Uh, go do whatever you want to do." So. Uh, Wow. We have this mix of all the way from people double masked to people uh, wanting to kiss you, you know. <laughs> <laughs> the wrong yeah. people wanting to oh, kiss exactly, you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, look, you know, um, as I said, great to see you. We put this topic together and you know what a topic. I think it's a really interesting one. So let me ask the $60,000 question, okay? How do you start a safety conversation? And maybe we can kick it off with you, Terry. How do you start a safety conversation? Well, you don't start it by telling. You start it by asking. You know, a, a, community, a, a conversation is a two-way thing. And most leaders and most safety professionals are not two-way communicators. Mm -hmm. They think the definition of communication is to disseminate information. And they forget that the other side of communication is that that message that they're sending out needs to be received, mm -hmm. you know. And um, uh, uh, this article that I wrote for EHS Today on this topic is one of the most popular ones that I've ever written. I got fabulous feedback on this one from a lot of people saying I never really thought about it this way, but it really makes a lot of sense. But I, I think that's the real essence uh, a very famous person said that listening was empowering people by taking them seriously. You know, and I think most leaders are much better talkers than they are listeners. Mm -hmm. And if, if you listen, that's where you get all this, this great information. And that's where conversations are so critical because uh, when, when information only flows from the top down in an organization, so many things get missed. Uh, you know, Deming told us, if, if you want to solve a problem, go to the level in the organization that manages that process, you know, mm -hmm. and, and talk to those people that are the real experts on that. And I think that that uh, message has been lost to a large degree in the safety practices around the world. Mm. So, Mal, I mean, starting a safety conversation, I guess you, me and Terry, we've had a lot of experience on this, haven't we, Mal? Yeah, a fair bit, I dare, I dare say. Uh, I mean, I, I think I can uh, relate back uh, to... When I was in the army serving, uh, and I used to do a lot of training uh, days uh, in the army, and quite rightly, uh, Terry, you know, conversation uh, is a great part of uh, any training uh, program that you run. Uh, and one of the things I, I got taught, and I, I remember quite vividly, uh, when they say that uh, to ensure that your captive audience has assimilated. Uh, what you've actually told them, uh, you have to get into a conversation with them and ask them the simple questions. Did you understand that? Uh, is, is that what you understood? Uh, you know, by asking simple questions and actually getting from them the feedback and then getting the feedback, you then start this conversation uh, of how things went. Uh, did they go swimmingly well? Uh, were they fully understood? Or maybe there was some clarification required. 
Uh, and th that again, you know, that it's all part of this communication process. And, mm. and I think we've said many, many times, communication is key to any process that you are trying to run. Mm. I remember when I was, um, you know, we all go on these presentation courses and things and so on. They talk about communication. I remember one of the uh, instructors telling me way, way back in my history god i feel old now but anyway they were telling me about a thing called tract you're probably familiar with that anyway tract is when someone asks you something or you're in discussion you say thank you uh, repeat answer confirm and thanks again as you exit out I, I use that quite a lot when i especially in presentations and so on is that something that we should do in conversation uh, let, let's take safety outside for the moment let's just talk about conversation in general Conversation is an art, as they say. Is that something that we should do then in terms of being respectful, follow a tracked process? Terry, what do you think? Oh, absolutely so. But I think we're losing that uh, with media that we have here today. Um, you know, the, uh, uh, the, average, the, the young people today have not had the exposure to face-to-face -face communication that the older generations did. In fact, when they're face-to-face, -face, a lot of times they're talking to, texting to each other on their phones. You know, and even though that's uh, that is an interactive form of communication, it's quite different than conversation. And, uh, you know, the the, the primal uh, textbook for communications was a, a, a book called uh, Orality and Literacy. And it basically explored the difference between oral conversation back and forth like this and written conversation and the uh, the constructs of each and how different the, they are. When, when my business partner first started writing articles, he wanted to write the way he speaks. And it took a lot, the girls did a lot of editing, you know, to get that to good, good written language because the, the, the formals are different. But now if you're texting, which one is that? Is that orality? Not exactly. Is it literacy? No, not exactly. It's some hybrid between the two. So I, I think that uh, the young people today are being raised in a more complicated communication age and I, I think that makes it difficult for them. And yeah, I think it's it difficult for the people who are supervising them. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right, uh, Terry. Uh, and as, as part of this new language, as, as you talk about, uh, uh, you know, you have to think. Well, when I'm when I'm when I have a captive audience of a, a certain age group, uh, you have to be able to speak at their level, uh, uh, and not only their uh, age but also their academic level. Uh, I mean, if, if you get three or four academics together uh, and they start uh, discussing, they will use elongated words uh, and, you know, highfalutin sentences. Uh, and if you if you do exactly the same with youngsters, they'll just sort of, huh, what's he talking about? Uh, <laughs> exactly. You know, in technical writing, they actually rate the grade level uh, of, of the communication that you're using. So they look at the vocabulary and they say, uh, at what grade level would someone understand all this vocabulary that you're using in this, and, and these constructs, sentence constructs and things like that, that you're using. And the average newspaper in the U.S. is written at what they call an 8.5. That means if you're halfway through the eighth grade, you're going to understand all the language that's in this particular article. Well, if you've got a college degree, I mean, if you finished high school, you're a 12. If you've got a college degree, you're a 16. 
Mm-hmm. You know, so they're they're aiming at halfway, halfway at your educational level out there to make sure you understand, you know, what's yeah. going on. Now, and, I'm, yeah. I'm just wondering, is, is, is that scary or what? You know, because they they're now thinking, well, hang on a minute. Uh, as older ones now are are either too educated or the younger ones are are just not getting it because they have their own speak. If if you look at a, a, a kid that's in college now and you have a look at their mobile phone and if you have a look at their text messages, I'll almost guarantee you'll not understand what they're talking about. Let's mm-hmm. speak emoji. Yeah. <laughs> the old, the old this is a great question, Sonny, by the way, that's popping up on the screen over here from Vince. Yeah, I, I, saw, I, saw, I think Vince. that's an excellent question. Uh, uh, let me just grab this question. It must be this one. It says, help me. Is that the one? Help me as understand yeah. what is working really well here and help me as understand what is giving you difficulty or good slow waste of time. Just before this, but yeah. Um, Maybe this one. Show me how you do whatever work that is. I always found that was a successful start of the initial hello names, greetings, etc. I, I'm, I'm, I can't see anything else unless it's disappeared off the screen. Yeah, that, no, that, I think that's it. That's you know, the there's nothing wrong with hello, names, greetings. You know, that that's fine. Mm-hmm. But that's just an intro. That's not a conversation. No. And, you no. Know, the, the, the starting of the conversation can come after that. It can come before that. It can come at, you know, in, in any uh, chronological order there. You know, if they don't know who you are, it's probably good for them to know who you are mm-hmm. and to start a conversation that way. But you haven't started a conversation. You've just introduced yourself. You know, so it's like giving a talk at a conference. Someone gets up and says, okay, our next speaker is, and here's what he did, and et cetera, et cetera. The talk hasn't happened yet. No, <laughs> you know, no. that's just the introduction. And this, hello, how are you, and I'm so-and-so, that's the same thing in a, in a conversation. It's strictly the introduction. Mm-hmm. Now, how do you get engagement? How do you get somebody to talk to you about this? And this, this is uh, this, this is infected by culture, as Mal, as Mal pointed out. You know, the, what is the group that you're talking to? What's the what's the education level? What's the common interest and things like that? You know, can you find a hot button out there of what you're talking about? Mm-hmm. And you know, one of the things that I've used, and and again, this doesn't apply. Nothing applies everywhere all the time. Nothing's totally universal. But I like to talk to people and say, you know, when you think about safety, what do you consider your biggest risk? You know, not necessarily the thing that can hurt you the worst, but the thing that's most likely to get you hurt. You know, when you think about that, what comes to mind? You know, starters like this can really get people into conversation. You know, and, and when your boss walks out there and says, do you understand lockout tag out? Or you think you're you think you're in compliance with lockout tag out? You know, that, that's one kind of way. And as Mal pointed out, you know, uh, fishing for feedback, fishing for understanding uh, is fabulously important. But the devil's in the details. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I have a lot of leaders who say, well, I ask him, did you understand that? Well, in that tone, what, you're not asking, did you understand that? You're asking, are you stupid? Are you a moron? You know, that is you, nice. you, it's you, the old finger the wagon. You're yeah. going to get you're going to get that you know <laughs> answer like that you know that, that you weren't really looking for. So a lot of it has to do with the tone that you set, but it also has to do with sparking interest. You know, uh, if if you're not talking about something they want to talk about, they're not going to talk to you about it. You know, just like a party. Yeah. But, Sorry, I, Terry. Think also, I think also the way that the question is presented, Terry, makes a big big difference. Uh, oh, I mean, yeah. you can have an open or closed question. Uh, and if you if you if you make it a closed questions, uh, did you get that? They just say, well, yes. Sure. As opposed to saying, uh, tell me what you understand by what we've just spoke about. Mm. Right. We need it open mm. enough for them to, to yeah. come back with, 
the feedback of what they've understood. Uh, and then, as you say, you can build the conversation from there uh, uh, to then, uh, if necessary, go back over uh, mm -hmm. what you were trying to explain to them or what you've already explained uh, and what they should have understood. Open-ended questions. Absolutely. You, know, you don't want the question to be a yes/no question. You know, you want the question to be open-ended. Let's talk about this. It's interesting. Yeah. We've got a few, uh, a few sort of bits of dialogue going on ethnographic yeah. communication. Ethnographic. Yeah. Let, let me, let me, um, let me just throw a little, um, little sort of uh, curveball in here. So we can do this in two ways. We can talk about written communication, which we'll park up for the moment. Let's talk about oral. Uh, verbal sort of communication. It's interesting how I, I read this book at the beginning of the year. I think it was the beginning of the year or sometime when I read a review, I think Mal was involved. It's called The Culture Code by Daniel Coyle. And he he went around to some of the companies where he said, look, these I've analyzed these companies. I think Google was in them, various others, you know, and he said, what he found in terms of high levels of engagement and great conversation was when they had what he called the density, the conversation density, where he described it as if you have 10 people in the conversation, everyone he noticed in that superbly functioning organization had equal weight contribution in the conversation. It wasn't as if one person was sat and just doing all the talking. He said that sort of a culture, where he called the belonging culture, the values, belonging cues, really made the company perform well. Do you think that's a fair comment that do, do you firstly, do you think that conversations are biased and sometimes leaders don't get it? They feel that they have to be going around shouting with a big stick or do you think things are changing more now? I'll start, I'll start off with I'll start off with you, Terry, first. Well, yeah, it depends on where you go. You know, when someone tells me that they have analyzed the culture at Google, I go, oh, really? Which part of it, you know? <laughs> Google is acquiring four companies a month. Mm. I've talked to the safety professionals there. They can't incorporate four companies a month into their safety program. They have to make sure that they have their own safety programs mm. and that they can keep those going until at some point in the who knows when future, they can start trying to bring all those things together. I mean, one of my first clients had 17 sites. No, no two of those 17 sites was identical. You know, they didn't have, they had identical machines. They had identical uh, products that they were making. They didn't have identical cultures. They didn't have identical safety issues. You know, they were all unique and individual. But uh, yeah, I think in general, you know, when you go to a, an organization where one person dominates the conversation and everyone else kind of looks at them from the side and goes, you know, and lets them be the spokesperson for that. That tells you about something about the culture and the communication in that organization. You know, that one person is the brave person who will speak up mm -hmm. and the rest of them really don't want to be heard. You know, mm -hmm. they, they don't want to be uh, a voice out there that could be criticized or, you know, whatever it is that happens in that organization. So I, I think it's a valid I think it's a valid uh, observation. Mm -hmm. Mal, I've uh, got questions, but you, go ahead, Mal. Have, have, have you got anything on your mind on that one about the density? Yeah, yeah I, I, was, I was actually going to say that, yeah, <laughs> uh, based on that, uh, uh, one of the companies that I worked for in the last couple of years, a big pharmaceutical company, uh, and we used to have a control tower every morning. Uh, I'm sure you might be familiar with the control tower meetings, uh, and that's where all the, uh, the senior management uh, get together, but it's an opportunity for every manager to have to have an input uh, uh, to listen to what's being said by all the other managers, 
for what happened yesterday, what's going to happen today, uh, and what's pro projected to happen uh, in the future for, for that particular company. Uh, and everybody uh, in there had, uh, albeit <clears throat> it was always time constrained, so you want there to waffle just to hear your own voice. Uh, you was there to say what your specific department had done uh, uh, yesterday, what you're doing today, and what you're going to be doing tomorrow. And, and everybody was able to input to that. And that is part and parcel of, I suppose, team building, building the culture, uh, and getting everybody uh, to be able to have the conversation, whether it's uncomfortable or not, uh, have the conversation of what's happening with everybody. Mm -hmm. Well, we've uh, thanks, Mal. We've got um, Tim Tim on uh, on chat here. It'd be terrible if we don't bring in the chats of conversations. Okay, uh, starting a, a chat conversation. So Tim says, "That's a great question, too." Yeah, Tim says the first question you ask is critical as it signifies what is important to you. So asking about production first can wholly be counterproductive. So well said, isn't it? So what was your targets this year, and did you make it? Hmm. Well, I, I hate separating production from safety and quality and reliability because they're really all one issue. And when people want to start creating this dichotomy, I like to nip it in the bud. You know, when, so I, I think talking about productivity is the way to start a safety conversation. You know what the main uh, enemies of productivity are? They're safety, quality and reliability. These are the three things that can kill productivity. So how can you talk about safety versus productivity? <laughs> What's your highest priority? You know, a, a, in a life coach one time that was working with me in my corporate career came in and he, he would write on the board, uh, self, family, career. And he'd say, which one of these three is the most important? You know, which one of these is your top priority? And uh, everybody would speculate a little bit like that. He'd draw a big circle around all of them and he'd say, these, these are the same thing, you know? This is, your, this is your challenge in your life is balancing these three things, mm -hmm. you know, and making them all work like that. I think the same thing's true of productivity. When you talk about productivity, if you don't include safety as a part of that definition, if you don't include quality as a part of that definition, if you don't include real, uh, uh, reliability as a part of that thing, you're not looking at the whole picture. You know, production isn't a separate thing from those other things. They are all totally interrelated. But it's all about that belonging again, isn't it? I mean, if you start putting people in pigeonholes, say, well, your safety, I'm not going to talk to you about production. I'm not going to talk to you about finance. I'm not going to talk to you about digital technology. You sort of alienating them in some way. Um, I, think, I think you can have a conversation about production and safety and so on in the right ways if you if, so long as you don't start beating people up and saying well your key performance indicators are terrible what are you going to do about it and do the old finger waving and bullying and so on right. you, you people are so sensitive to that now and before you know it there'll be a whistleblower of some sort yeah. maybe even take you to court i suspect so mal um what do you think production versus safety different or contributory or what do you think no i i, I totally agree with with, with terry uh, that it, it is all part and parcel of one I mean, funny enough, I, I read an article today uh, from WHO, World Health Organization, uh, and they were on about all the leaders that they've got together uh, to now uh, formulate a, a plan, a plan of attack, uh, excuse the pun, uh, uh, for anything that may happen in the future uh, so that they can work together. Uh, uh, and one of the, the parts that I, that I read, 
and I found it so pertinent for everything that you do, whether it's quality, reliability, maintainability, or safety. Uh, and that is, nobody is safe until everyone is safe. Mm. And I thought, wow, that's quite a powerful statement, really. Very, uh, very. When you apply that right across the board, as you just said, Terry, reliability, quality, safety, it's all part and parcel of nobody is safe until everyone is safe. Mm -hmm. It's that belonging thing again, isn't it? Um, mm. We've got a couple of things coming in. Mal, you might have to put your light on. It's very you know, just about make out in there, but uh, we'll, you, I know it's summertime, but I think we're being robbed of daylight a little bit. Um, now, I, I, Ada, yeah, I my window. Yeah, <laughs> I, Ada, Ada says hi. Thanks. Uh, nice to hear from you. Uh, I will just catch up on a few things. Vince says danger kills productivity. Safety helps it. Now, Gary's come in with a question. And when Mal gets back, we'll sort of chime in on this one as well. Um, Mal, can you hear me there? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm, okay, I'm, so, I'm, so, right. So Gary says, interesting about pharmaceutical regular meetings. I've just finished 17 years in the NHS every day before the list starts theatres for the list starts theatres have daily safety briefings. Yes, this usually involves talking about patient safety and the incidents lessons learned. All sounds good, which it was. However, I'm not sure it was a true safety conversation in the sense that we're talking about. Well, there's conversations, there's conversations, isn't there? What do you think, Terry? Well, uh, that it can be either way. I think those kind of meetings, uh, I've, I've done a lot of work with hospitals and when they change shifts in hospitals, they have a meeting where they hand off everything from that one shift to the next shift. So they talk about every patient, everything that's happened, you know, and, and uh, the, the whole thing. I've seen those meetings that were a speech by the head nurse. And I've seen those meetings where everybody in there participated and, you know, handed off their patients to the person who was taking their particular group of patients and everything else. You know, so I, I've seen those go both ways in, in a number of instances. But no, I tend to agree. A lot of those meetings are speeches. Yeah. You know, they are the leader standing up and saying, let me summarize what happened, you know, over the last little while. And, and you know, so you so you're aware of what's going on. That's better than nothing. Mm -hmm. Definitely so. But I, I think you're right in classification. I wouldn't classify that as a conversation the way we're talking about it right now. Mm -hmm. you Mal, know, thank you. Uh, by the way, Mal, the one thing that I would I would off, offer with what you just said, nobody's safe until everybody's safe. It's absolutely true. But mm -hmm. there's also the oxygen mask principle. Right. Put yours on first <laughs> before you help somebody else, you know? Oh, yeah, and if, sure. If you can't be safe yourself, you can't help other people be safe. That's true as well. Uh, Mal, yeah, thank, you for, thank you for putting your light on, Mal. I appreciate that. Um, no, so, hey, look. You're going to get more of a tan. You're sending me the bill. Okay. Uh, uh, solar powered, isn't it? <laughs> of course. Uh, Gary's saying, uh, definitely agree. Speech, speeches, not conversation. Okay. So, Mal, you know, I mean, let's, let's be honest here. Okay. You can have all sorts of conversations. You can have a regular, how are you? What they call, was it a coffee corner? Whatever they call it. Water cooler conversation, isn't it, Terry? They call them. Okay. Yeah. And there's others which are, we've had. And I know I'm going to use the word accident here and some people don't like it. Okay. Incident, accidents, whatever you want to call them. Okay. We've had that. We've got to have a conversation, get around the table. It's got to be done. So there's, there's quite a different variation in conversation. Some very painful, some very delectable and nice to be in. Let's start with something that's really hairy. You know, let's start with talking about safety conversation, which is not a 
good conversation. Mal, how would you start a conversation in safety where you had to pull someone to one side? Yeah, well, I mean, it's it, it's never it's never easy uh, uh, to uh, engage with somebody when you have to when you know yourself that uh, uh, excuse the language a bollocking's coming up here. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I mean, the the gap the gaffer said here, Mal, go and speak to that guy, sort him out. So I mean, you have to, and I, I have had this conversation with a few guys on big contracts. Uh, and one of the one of the uh, um, I, I'm trying to re relate back to one of them. Uh, I, I remember uh, a, a welder that was out on on the job, uh, and he was trying to get the job done as quickly as he could. And he wasn't using the full uh, equipment that he should have been using for protection, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I, I think I re remember the conversation started uh, around like, uh, "Are you married?" He said, well, yeah, I, I am married. I said, uh, do you have any children? He said, yeah. And I reached in my wallet and, and I pulled out. I said, look, I said, uh, uh, there's a photograph of my, my grandkids. Uh, and when I finish uh, the project, I go home to those grandkids and I'll be able to see them. <clears throat> I said, now. So you, you can see now where this conversation may be going. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, if you fail uh, to wear the protective equipment that's been supplied for your job what do you think as opposed to me just saying are you going to get this or are you going to get that you can say uh, what what do you think could happen if you fail to wear your equipment oh well yeah i, I, I know i could get burned or i, I could get damaged to me yeah damage to your eyes now just bear that in mind damage to your eyes can be irreparable and by the time you think about it it's too late Mm. And then you ain't going to see your grandkids anymore. You ain't going to mm. see your kids anymore. These are the things that you have to think about. And I think when you when you try and uh, I suppose empathise uh, uh, with uh, with the workers uh, and explain to them that wearing PPE is not just because you've got to wear it. There's a reason for it. And if you explain that reason in in the, I suppose in the in the right manner. Uh, a lot of people will take that on board. That's mm -hmm. how I approach it. Mm -hmm. That's that's interesting. So you're really appealing to them in the context of framing it as to what would happen if you lost the use of that faculty of that uh, particular capability. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. I, I mean, Terry? you you could use that in 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 a, in a number of ways, a number of ways. Mm. Uh, uh, you know, even even working at heights. Uh, and I know working on heights is probably uh, one of the biggest dangers that we have in industry uh, because of, you know yourself, uh, somebody falls from heights, they're either severely injured, badly injured, or they're crippled, or they're even killed. Yeah. And it happens yeah. in the blink of an eye. Yeah, yeah. Terry, so. You have to, I think, uh, uh, bring into uh, the conversation. Yeah. Terry. I, I, I couldn't agree more with Mal, but you know, you're, one of the things that you're touching on is that human beings react emotionally before they react logically. And yeah. so often in safety, we tell them all the facts and then we say, oh, this is important because of that's backwards. You got to tell them why it's important and, and everything and then start going into the details. Uh, when I worked with the Johnson Space Center of NASA back a number of years ago, 
uh, one of the things I found out, you know what everybody was trying to do at the Johnson Space Center in safety? Protect the astronauts. They're trying to keep the astronauts from getting killed or getting injured or whatever it is like that. Well, 60 of them got injured. There's 12,000 of them. 60 of them got injured on the ground yeah. every year. They weren't even working on that. They weren't even focused on that. So one of the things that I did, they all wear a name badge. And uh, I, I had them redo these name badges where on the back of it, it said, who else? And they all had to bring a photo and, and put it in the back of their name badge. But besides the astronauts, which were all working to protect, who else are you safe for? Mm -hmm. And they wound up with pictures of spouses, grandkids, dogs, you know, a, a little bit of everything. But it's a really interesting thing. You know, if, if you ever go to the Johnson Space Center, ask, ask a, an employee to see the back of their badge. You know, and it's going to say who else? And it's going to have that photo on the back mm. over there. Mm. Safety can't be for just hypothetical stuff. It's got to be for it's got to be for a reason that touches your heart. It's got to it's got to elicit emotional response. Mm. And I, I think that's what you were getting at Mel. You're, you're getting this person to not only think about, well, what's the technical stuff? What are the rules? What are the procedures? What do I have to do like that? You're talking about why you have to do it. They don't have to know the rules and regulations, but they have to know the the, the reason behind the logic that you're trying exactly. to impart onto them. And, and I think a lot a lot of people will take that on board uh, much much easier than trying to ram regulations, rules, uh, and policies and procedures down their throat. Mm -hmm. so, I've been highly criticized for saying it, but I've told a lot of leaders rules are for games. You know, if uh, if you want safety to be a game, make up rules and, and, you know, penalize people for not following the rules. I said, but if you want safety to be real, teach people the principles, mm -hmm. you know, the yeah. principles of safety. What is it? How can you get hurt? How can you avoid getting hurt? If they understand that from a principle action, you don't have to make a rule for each particular application mm -hmm. of that principle. People understand, you know, what, what it is that they really need to do. And I, I think that's an approach that uh, very few organizations have taken, but the few that I've talked into taking it have some spectacular performance in safety. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I, very short, quickly, I, I mean, I remember working with uh, British Energy uh, and we were doing uh, uh, inside the reactor work uh, and we practiced, we practiced for 14 weeks solid, 14 weeks practice, the teams, uh, went in the reactor, out of the reactor, in in a mock-up, in the mm -hmm. reactor, out of the reactor, and they'd done that day in, day out, day in, day out, and the actual project itself took ten days. Wow! But fourteen weeks practice uh, to get that perfect, and I suppose that takes me back to uh, again military terminology, which is preparation and planning prevent poor performance. The P rule. Yeah, yes. that, that reminds me of the expression of people who say practice is practice makes perfection. But I think our friend Scott Geller you tr turned it around to practice makes permanence, which is your 14 day thing. You know, people got so exactly. used to it. Let, let's grab some of these comments that are coming in. So Vince yeah. is saying, um, in my mining days, the outgoing deputy supervisor wasn't allowed to leave the mine until they'd spoken to the incoming deputy about the safety and operations that was written into the mines ages. That's all about the handover, which is absolutely right. You have okay. to tell, <laughs> otherwise it's going in like this, isn't it? Jeanette, yeah. lovely to see you, Jeanette, on, and um, we miss you today. We will catch up with you soon. Hi, Jeanette. <laughs> Look who's on, Jeanette. Uh, 
agrees with you, Mal. Great question is point. why not always about how and what. Now, Uga Chukwu uh, Godwin says, safety conversation should target, uh, apologies, Uga Chukwu, I just your name incorrectly there, I said it wrong, uh, should target the seat of motivation, the heart. When we build trust and showing personal interest in the workers, we surely connect and effectively converse. We're back to belonging again, aren't we there? Right. Uh, and Tim is saying, Tim saying, I strongly suggest that leadership engagement, the safety conversation, should be considered as a competent. Oh, uh, yeah. you got it, Tim. Couldn't agree. Couldn't agree with you more there. Just how few organizations actually measure competence. So, yeah. You know, it's one of the most important things in safety and nobody has a metric. We, we've got all these uh, uh, people my age retiring and all these people that just came into the workplace taking their place. And I ask all these organizations, how much competence are you losing when those people retire? And these people take their places. Oh, 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 I don't know. There's not a metric for it. They're not measuring. They're not measuring that. And it's a critically important metric. Terry, you're retiring. You're only 21. We retire. <laughs> um, look, look, let's. I want. I want to. I'm going to throw my next curveball in now. Okay. So we know safety conversations are important, and we do our best as practitioners to go and talk to the people, empathizing, making sure we don't step on their toes and trying to make them feel like we understand the situation, trying to get them on board, etc. Let me give you a story, a very quick story. When I was in Iraq uh, for an oil super major and we were going around checking the sites and the facilities on, there was, there was one group of people working on a pipeline. It had a leak and uh, they, were, they were going away working away on it and this guy had a almost like a welding torch and a rag and a bucket next to him i thought good grief what's going on here i don't want to be too close to this right so i said to through the translator i said what are you what are you doing let's have a conversation about this and i explained that you know i was trying to explain about fire and potential risks and everything else and the guy turned around to me the guy who's doing the welding the welding and he said to me yes but I keep forgetting that this is no longer the old regime. In the old regime, I had a guy behind me, a soldier with an AK-45 saying, fix it, otherwise you will not be seeing your family again, right? And he realized that the easiest thing to do or the less riskier option was to fix the leak. So my point here is you can have a conversation, but some habits are hard to break. How do you turn a safety conversation with someone who's so stone-faced about doing it the way they want to do? How do you how do you get them to come to your side? Okay, Mal, I know you're going to say make them realize that they could lose their eyes on, but is that the only way? Are there other options then? Mal, start with you. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure there are other options uh, of uh, encouraging uh, people to uh, change their habits. Mm. Uh, you, you could you could maybe take them uh, uh, to one side and take them further down the workshop and show them how somebody else is working uh, mm -hmm. and ask the, again ask the question you know see how these people are working here what do you think of that what do they do different to what you do again trying to turn the the conversation back around to letting them think it's them that's identifying this not what I've identified. Uh, I, I suppose yeah. it's, uh, it's a bit of reverse psychology. Mm -hmm. That does work. I mean, 
Terry, what's your thoughts about maybe how we engage people when they're not always ready to be engaged? Well, I back up a, a step and I ask people, what is your definition of safety? You know, a lot of people say, well, I've done this a hundred times and I've never gotten hurt. And I said, is that your definition of safety? Not getting hurt. And they, well, yeah. I said, is that, is that a definition or is that a goal? Hmm. And I said, well, yeah, that's, that's what I'm trying to accomplish over here. I said, well, do you think what you just did is going to accomplish that every time that what I'm getting at here? And, and I've been working on this for years and years. I've got a, a, a YouTube video on this and everything else. It's what we call low probability risk. Mm. And if, if you believe uh, National Safety Council here in the U.S. and several other reporting agencies around the world, the average worker who gets hurt on the job is taking a one in 500 and something risk. Now, that's that's not everything. That's that's a huge average, you know, so uh, it, it works the other way. But if, if you've done something several hundred times and gotten away with it, is that because it's safe or is that because it's a low probability risk? LPR. You know? And if you can't separate those two things out, you don't understand that principle. And a lot of old workers have done it 300 times and gotten away with it. And what they don't understand is if they do it 200 more times, they're going to get hurt, you know, or they're, they're going to play out the probability anyway of yeah. getting hurt. And you know how uh, probabilities work out. I mean, if it's one in 500, one person does it their whole life and never gets hurt. Another person does it 500 times and gets hurt twice. You know, you add them together and divide by two, you know, but uh, I think that's the principle uh, I, I don't think it's it's just old habits. I think it's old habits reinforced by experience mm -hmm. and that experience of not getting hurt. You know, a lot of people uh, equate that with safety. Well, if, if safety is not getting hurt, then anything that I do that doesn't get me hurt must be safe. You know, and that's the myth you got to dispel to get these old workers to rethink what they're trying to do. At least it's the best one I've come up with. In mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's back to the old adage, adage uh, uh, Terry, that, you know, I've been doing this for 20 years uh, and, uh, I, you know, whether it's right or wrong, I've never hurt myself. Habit. Yeah, exactly. It's habit, though, isn't it? Habit. Yeah. Oh, yeah so, you go to someone in a casino and they say, well, I played craps for 15 minutes. Terry, I keep playing the lottery. All right. I'm not <laughs> one yet. All right. It's the so. lottery. <laughs> Vince is saying four essential skills for safety conversation enthrall, inspire, mesmerize, fascinate equals interest and engagement. Vince, you've got to come up with a with some sort of a, a monogram or whatever that we can memorize and remember. Yeah. That's E-I-M-F. E-I-M-F. -E okay. Mm -hmm. uh, now I don't know who this is. I think it might be Dom Cooper, but I'm not sure. It says Tim Ingram, a level of cultural competencies is also important. Absolutely. Yes? And yeah, that's Jeanette, I think so too, yeah. Um, uh, Jeanette's saying, conversation is also about giving the right and positive feedback, coming back to ABC model. Ah, now, That's Dom, you can chime in on that one. Um, ABC behavior uh, and consequence. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, wait, we've got some more coming in. Who says when we evaluate workers' risk appetite, ah, that's that risk appetite again, beyond the work environment and their immediate actions, we begin to have insight into what really influences the behaviors. Mm. And Jeanette says, language is another element of conversation. Change your words, change your world. Now, talking about language, we are now. Be careful, Scott may be listening. Well, <laughs> I hope Scott's listening because, you know, he, yeah. he'll be talking about positive psychology. Because I remember 
a couple of shows ago and I was talking about something and said, and Scott said, oh, you've got the flow piece in positive psychology. How about psychology, behaviors, all of those things? Do we need to get it that complex when we talk to people? Should we not just be treating them like human beings and just engage in a discussion? Do I have to think, Terry, about what you're doing and when your arms are like this and whether you're scratching your head and twisting your legs and so on? Do I have to get into those modes? Why can't we make conversation simple? What do you think, Terry? Well, I, I don't think uh, I don't. Psychology is about individuals, hmm. and when you start trying to apply it to groups, <laughs> you, you just hopelessly complicated. Okay, uh, this guy's got his arms folded. This guy's wide open. You know, you know where where do you hit the middle? Where do you hit the, the common ground out there? But I, here's the thing that I think, and, and this is where, where Scott and I have had this conversation many many times. You know, uh, I made the comment. He he criticized me for it that uh, trying to turn people into amateur psychologists. You know, I said, you don't want to do that because amateur psychologist is the second most uh, dangerous thing you can put in an organization, second only to a professional psychologist, which, of course, Scott took took uh, immediate. Uh, I wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> here's, here's the point. You have to be true to psychology, but you don't have to be a psychologist. Mm. You've got to take that science and turn it into technology. You've got to take you've got to you've got to take those truths that are behind all of that stuff that you can't get anybody to pay attention to everything like that. And you've got to turn it into a, a simple, usable, practical, workable model that, uh, that that someone can apply out there in the workplace. Mm -hmm. You know, and it, it won't be inclusive. It won't be totally perfect, you know. But uh, again, um, <laughs> we, we have a saying, uh, I won't get into the politics, but there, there's, there's a certain group of people who are hung up on the pro process and there are other people who are hung up on the results. You know, and and neither one of them are totally wrong, but either one of them to, to the extreme can can be dangerous. You know, if, if you're I'm, I'm a very results oriented person, you know, uh, you, you tell me, well, this is the way to do that. And I said, no, it's not. It doesn't work. Mm. <laughs> you know, we've done it. We've done it a dozen times and it doesn't work. So I don't care how perfectly theoretical, theoretically perfect it is. Mm. It doesn't work, mm. you know. But on the other hand, if you ignore the, the theoretical you do it at your own peril because you're going to, to fall into those practical traps Absolutely. that that stuff can can help you avoid. Mm. So I, I think it's a I think it's a, a melding of these two things. You've mm. got to be true to the science, but you got to you've got to be realistic about how you apply it out there in the real world. You, you do realize you've opened up a Pandora's box here because Mal is uh, oh, into yeah. behaviors and speciality. Mal, over to you. <laughs> Uh, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna bite into into, into that. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> fishing time. Never mind golf. It's fishing. But, but, but certainly, you know, uh, if you look at the uh, behavioural safety, uh, uh, there is a, a certain element of psychology uh, apl applied into that. Uh, and I think you're probably right, Terry, in saying that uh, we're not we're not trying to uh, produce uh, a workforce of amateur psychologists. Uh, I, I think is what you're trying to do. Uh, is um, I'll use a great word for you: inculcate uh, uh, safety <laughs> into, into their hearts as a value, not as a yeah. priority. If yeah. if they if they can, uh, if if you can teach them uh, uh, to appreciate safety as a value, uh, not as a priority, uh, uh, not as a procedure or a policy, uh, then I think uh, you're you're there. You're halfway there, at least, to win 
uh, and another term that's been battered about recently, win the hearts and minds uh, of the workforce in, in a very sensible way. Mm -hmm. um, you know, an example of what I'm talking about, Sonny, uh, Dan Peterson, uh, yeah. who I worked with quite a bit over the years, had a model of nine reasons why people take risks, mm. you know, the, the influences that would make people take a risk. Uh, it, as you probably know, Dan, uh, reason has 42 or something like that. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, uh, you know the difference between a slip and a lapse? Not on either. But uh, you know, I came up with the model. The memory cells, I think. Yeah. I've worked with both of these guys, and I, I came up with a model with four things. I made it into a little diamond like that. Mm -hmm. You know, and these four things—they're not inclusive. They're not exclusive. They don't—they don't split the atoms, you know, between this and that and everything else. But they're the four general things. And in, in general, what happens is if this is the problem, you solve it one way. If that's a problem, you solve it another way and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So it's dividing them not by the minutia of, of the difference of why somebody wouldn't be safe. It's, divi it's divided by the uh, action plan that you would come up to correct that. Mm -hmm. You know, well, I mean, Reason and, and Patterson both just beat me to death over that because it's not correct. You know, <laughs> in, in their opinion, but you know what? It works. Yeah. 150 teams out there that are using it every day to improve safety. Yeah. Can remember it. They can use it. It's, you know, it's practical. Yeah. And, you know, each one of the, my little things includes probably several others, you know, without dividing them up into to little, uh, you know, uh, smaller bites and pieces like that. But that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. You know, if you, if you go back, the foundation of it came from them. Mm. You know, I, I learned from I learned from from Dan Peterson. I learned from Reason. Yeah. I, you know, the, all of them taught me something. But uh, you know, the, they they are scholarly. That like you're talking about, Mal. They're they're using a different vocabulary mm -hmm. out there, and their vocabulary doesn't translate to the average worker on the shop floor. Let's come back to vocabulary. That's a really good point you've raised there. And I just want to say thank you to Tim, Tim Ingram, for letting me know it wasn't Dom Cooper with this message. It was Clayton Downs. He uh, says, I agree. Clayton, my apologies. Okay. So he says, agree all very much part and part of the overall competence suite. Uh, I think we've done this one about language from Jeanette. And here's one from Katarzyna. It says, I think the coin method could be useful. What's that? The old flip and your heads and tails or something, I guess. Um, yeah. 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 Let, let me ask. That's right, yeah. Uh, let me ask you about vocabulary, okay? Um, as you know, in fact, both of you were involved when we did the Dave Snowden stuff on Kinevin, right? Oh, gosh, yeah. And it was Mal, I think. And, and Mal said it, but I was thinking it, and afterwards we discussed it, and that is... We said to Dave, why are you using words like, I don't know, anthropological and stuff like that? Unless I have a dictionary handy with me, because earlier on you talked about the readability index, Terry, right? Which is how J.K. Rowling wrote her book on Harry Potter. She yes. writ it for grade eight sort of uh, people. Um, how are you writing these things with such complicated words and saying, well, I'm going to demystify complexity and make it simple, but I'm going to use complex words? So Mal. You you asked, started the conversation, and and Dave's response was, well, I want to change the language. I want to try and get people to talk in a new vocabulary. And I thought, my God, we're struggling with the existing vocabulary already, you know, with the emojis and everything else creeping in. 
What is well, this that, thing with that, vocabulary? That, that's, that's why I mentioned earlier on, you know, uh, when you were talking, when you have your, your captive audience, uh, I think you have to, uh, you've got to know your audience. I was always taught when, before you even go and try and teach your audience anything, know who your audience is. Know at what level you have to pitch uh, uh, your wares uh, so that they can fully understand and appreciate uh, what it is you're having to offer. Uh, and uh, as, as you mentioned with uh, with Dave and Ken Evan, it was a, an extremely interesting uh, mm. session that we had. Uh, and there was a lot of new things in there, although they've been around for some 20-odd years. There were some new things in there that I hadn't, uh, uh, looked at or thought about uh, within a safety environment. Uh, mm -hmm. But the language that was used uh, uh, was uh, at a very high academic level. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's okay if you were talking maybe on a platform with Ted uh, uh, and you're talking to uh, all the CEOs uh, in America, etc., etc., who understand that level of language. But I think if we are looking here for example starting a safety conversation and you aim it immediately at that level uh, you will lose uh, mm. two-thirds of your audience straight away because they think i have no idea what he's talking about but let me push back on that mal i don't think the c-suite understand that language terry mm. If I went to some of your C-suite leaders and start talking about apparitic systems and anthropology and all of those things, they, they're going to look at me and say, who the hell is this guy, Terry? Get him maybe out of here. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what do you maybe, think, Terry? Maybe the wrong, maybe the wrong choice of, of, of level. <laughs> but, but again, it's not necessarily just levels. I mean, you can't say that everybody with a 16-level education speaks the same language. True. We, we, no. we, have, we have silos there. You know, when I'm speaking to engineers, uh, you know, I speak a different language than when I'm speaking to uh, salespeople, you know? Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's a whole different vocabulary mm -hmm. in what you're doing. And I, I think creating this common vocabulary in safety is incredibly important. And that's why I get criticized so often by the academics, because I tend to use common, understandable language. For instance, one of the things in my little model I was just talking about, I call it habit. Oh man, you ought to hear that. You ought to hear the attacks that I get. Well, that's the most unscientific term I've ever. Heard. Well, I mean, I can use I can use the, the the psychological terms. You know, of learned behavior, pattern behavior, reinforced behavior. You know, autotomic behavior. Uh, you know, but nobody understands it, and everybody knows what a habit is. You know, now yeah. they don't have a scientific definition of it, but they understand the principle. You know, if you can do it without consciously thinking about it and making a decision. <laughs> It's a habit, right? Well, so, habits now got more popular thanks to Charles Duhigg and his book oh, on the power oh, yeah. of habit. You know, he talks about, uh, was it cue, action, and reward or whatever. Yeah. And we've, exactly. got, we've got a couple more questions and comments coming in. So Vince says, observe work, workers doing their stuff. Vince, why didn't you jump on the show? I sent you the link, you know. I mean, you should be on the show. <laughs> observe workers doing their stuff, especially non standard tasks say a breakdown situation, ask what's the plan. So that's really taking them bit by bit by the hand rather than taking them to the cliff edge and pushing them over, I guess. Gary, great to see you. Thank you for your lovely email the other day. Gary says, understanding psychology through engagement gets to know people's beliefs and values, which will ultimately affect their behavior, which could be positive and negative. 
Good engagement will ultimately understand motivation for the task, job, etc. Listening is the best tool we have as health and safety practitioners. That reminds me of that expression, doesn't it? Why do we have two ears and one mouth? Got to spend twice as long listening as you do talking. Um, now, Jeanette says, conversation is also about ability to listen and hear. I'll tell you what. Absolutely. Time has flown by in this conversation, guys. You know, 53 oh. minutes we've chalked up. But I, said, I told you I had five hours worth of material. <laughs> it's all right for you. You're you're five and a half plus hours behind. You know we're still just about coping past the clock changes. <laughs> um, yeah, there's one more. There's one more issue, if I may. Mm. That I think is really critically important to this, mm. and that is that communication needs to be sticky. Mm. There, there are two brothers who are business professors at two different business schools here in the U.S. And they wrote a book called Made to Stick. Made to Stick, yeah. And it's it's basically what makes communication memorable. Uh, my my, uh, my COO in, in my company came up with a term that I use all the time right now. He calls it ROA. Everybody knows what ROI is. It's return on investment, right? Mm -hmm. But what's ROA? It's return on attention. So you tell people, pay attention. I'm going to I'm going to give you some information. What did you get back for that? Can they remember it tomorrow? Can they remember it next week? Can they remember it next month? If it's if it's important, can they recite it back to you? This little book made to stick. It's a very, very wonderful little quick read. And it's got an acronym to help you remember the things that make communication sticky. Mm -hmm. If you want to use that particular term. But I think that's the one part that we forget very often in safety, too. You know, some things go in one ear and out the other. Other things stick in your head forever. You know, are we making our safety communication? Yeah. Are we using the right tools to make it stick once once people have once we had this conversation? Yeah. The conversation itself is one of the tools. Interaction is one of the tools that makes converse that makes information sticky. You know, the fact that you participated in it, not just got it thrown at you. Mm -hmm. but again, uh, I can also tell you that the, to make sure that it does stick. It goes back to the old acronym KISS. Keep it. Yeah, exactly. Simple. I've changed that, Mal. I, I, I knocked the last S off. I just call it yeah, KISS. Because I, I said it to a couple of people and they said, you're calling me stupid. I said, no, I'm not calling you stupid. It's just the expression. Just keep it simple. Um, Tim has come in. Uh, now, I actually looked at Tim's profile. He's XBP like me. So, Tim, great to, as a great to see on the show. He says, specific care on safety discussion topic selection needs to be taken in major hazard environment. Oh, yeah. I mean, as per Macondo, that's a, that's a show in itself, Tim. We should get you on the show for that one. Um, last, last sort of five minutes freestyling, okay? I'm going to ask each of you to give me your sort of closing thoughts and one piece of advice that you would give for starting a safety conversation. And if I may, I'll start with Mal first. Good. Yeah, I mean, uh, one thing that I would, I, I would uh, uh, definitely uh, look at in starting the conversation, obviously, uh, is observe the space. Uh, if if you are too close to somebody, uh, uh, then they may be thinking, whoa, 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 what, what, what's coming here? Uh, so I think space is, is uh, uh, certainly in the COVID environment now, space is definitely uh, uh, a primary uh, thing that we should look at. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I'll go back to what I said earlier on. 
uh, and that is uh, nobody is safe until everybody is safe. Uh, and when we are walking around making uh, observations, making chit chat uh, and talk, um, don't ever turn a blind eye to anything. Because when you do, that's when something will go wrong. Mm -hmm. Even if they've done it a thousand times before. So when you're making your observant, uh, observations, uh, uh, always follow up uh, on observations that you see may have uh, a critical ending. At the same time, make sure that you praise uh, uh, the staff for working uh, in the right direction at the right level using the right tools and equipment using the right procedures policies etc mm. that's wonderful i like that that's a good piece of advice there terry you've had time to think now <laughs> i have well, <laughs> i've been writing down <laughs> he's, he's, pinched, he's pinched that one you know i can see it going in one of his books in the I future know. you, know. Yeah, you better, better ask for some commission <laughs> the good communication has at least three elements that, that you ought to always consider. It needs to be clear. That means it needs to be uh, free of dual meaning or undertones. Realize that you're communicating three different ways. You're verbal, visual, and vocal. You know, so if, if, if you've seen examples, haven't you? you? go, I'm terribly excited about the topic I'm talking about today. You know, your body language is is, is contradicting your words, you know, your, your verbal. You know, you've got to be careful with that. It's got to be non threatening. And this is where most leaders don't realize that sometimes anything they say can be threatening. You know, I mean, just their very position can be threatening out there unless they diffuse that in their in their openings to, to create a, a conversation. The more you talk to somebody, the less threatening they become. And that's one of the things that, that a lot of people, it's got to be two-way. Mm -hmm. Good communication has to be two-way communication. You can't do all the talking. You've got to, in fact, like you say, you know, one mouth, two ears. You, you've got to do more listening than you do talking. Mm -hmm. But the, the real key to this, to me, uh, in starting a conversation is to ask the right questions. And the right questions tend to build commonality. You know, what's your definition of safety? When you think of safety, what do you think of? What has to happen? You know, we're really good at this. Why do you think we're so good at that? And do you think we can repeat it again next year? These kind of questions, you know, really engage and, and really pull in pe people to the conversation. Mm -hmm. And again, you know, the, the old quote, listening is empowering people by taking them seriously. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if the leaders out there trying to learn from you, not teach you, you know, everything that you do, it, it creates a whole different culture, a whole different kind of safety culture that, that makes communication uh, doable. Mm -hmm. You know, too often we have siloed organizations, you know, engineering, production, sales, transportation, you know, whatever it is like that. Safety is very often one of those silos mm -hmm. and it, it shouldn't be because safety spans them all. Mm -hmm. You know, engineering is a part of safety, production is a part of safety, quality is a part of safety. It, it's all and, and safety is a part of all of those things. Mm, it's all no. encompassing lou, lou thank you for being on the show losing the combat forces in the us actually uh terry and he says thanks for another great presentation i really like the return on attention it's a keeper grab it quick lou before 
Terry copyrights it. And uh, Vince, respect, value, appreciate, justify why you're saying what you're saying. Never ever patronize sincerity and the eye contact. I think this is Clayton Downs again. He says, tell a story. Everyone remembers the apple falling on Newton's head. There's no evidence to show that actually happened. They say it was a story so people could teach the theory. The story is understood in every country around the world. In fact, Clayton, if it is you, you said that very perfectly because when Dave Snowden talks about Kinevin, he talks about narratives. Okay, he talks about stories. Um, we've hit the jackpot here. We've hit the money at one hour and one minute. Wahey! Okay, so before before we head off into the sunset with this conversation, I just want to say a couple of things, and that is. When we talked about Kinevin last year with Dave Snowden, we talked all these conversations and bringing it down to a point where we can understand it. We now actually have a networking event on April the 22nd with Gary Wong, which is all about Kinevin, basics to intermediate. So if you're a fan of Kinevin or you want to know what's in that box, join us. That is not a live event. That is a networking event. So you have to get roll up your sleeves and dive right into that one. My thoughts on having a safety conversation, I think you've just got to have a conversation. I mean, eventually it all boils down to safety, as Terry said. You will talk about the scaffolding, you will talk about the slip, trip and fall, or you'll talk about the loss of primary containment on some pressure vessel that's about to explode. But the point is, just have a conversation. Keep it simple, but not stupid. Treat people with respect and they'll treat you with respect as well. I've got on my soapbox there, but there you go. Uh, I just want to say, Terry, thank you. As always, love having you on the show. You're always to be always here. full of uh, in good information, good knowledge. And Mal, don't leave us again for this long, all right? So, um, gentlemen, thank you so much. And to everyone out there, thank you so much for taking part. And don't forget, next week, we have Tim Houlihan on the show talking about behavioral stuff. And we have our networking event. Till then, take care. Have a great weekend. Have great conversations. Terry, Bye. Mal, please, please stay on after us and we'll catch up. Okay, thanks, right. guys. See you in a bit. Bye for now. Thank you so much for stopping by and watching that live event. If you want to be notified of future live events, head over to our website. There's a form on there. Hit the subscribe button and I'll update you whenever live events come up. I promise you, no spam. And finally, we do have a YouTube channel. It's just simply Red Risks. Please subscribe and help us. Let's connect, share and learn. Thanks. Catch you on the next live event.